0: take your bibles and turn to ephesians chapter 2 ephesians chapter 2 we'll begin reading in a moment in verse 11 we have seen the importance i hope and the significance that scripture gives to our being in union with christ over these past weeks And union with Christ gives us a new purpose in life, it gives us a new power for living, it gives us a a resurrection power we saw out of Philippians uh, chapter 3. It gives us us the strength of Christ dwelling in us, living in us, and us being in Him. We've seen that union with Christ is not just adding Christ onto our life, but union in Christ is a changing dynamic as to who we are, because we are now... In him and he is our strength and he is our he is our life uh, according to, to the Apostle Paul who played who laid great stress on that throughout all his writings not the least of which being this one we'll look at this morning but but today I want us to look at it just one little step further and that is that being in union with Christ means being in unity with his body with the, with the church that it means that God has done something not just vertically in that union with Christ relationship, although granted, that is the basic relationship, and, and if you have to uh, qualify them, that is the most critical one, but, but Paul makes very clear that when that vertical relationship is intact between you and Christ, there is a, an immediate horizontal relationship that is also established. There's a right relationship with God in Christ, And now there's a relationship with all others who are in Christ. There is what what John Stott called in his commentary on Ephesians, a new society, a new people, a, a new citizenship, a new nation, if you will, brought together because of the work of Christ being in you and you being in Him, this union with Christ. That was far from the picture that Judaism presented in Paul's day, and Christ's day. As a matter of fact, there was an alienation there that was so great that Paul's going to talk about here in a minute. It was a double alienation. For the Gentiles, which most of us in this room would be considered this morning, for the Gentiles, there was not only an alienation from God, but there was an alienation from God's people. There was no touching them. There was no, no being a part of them. There was no worshiping with them. I mean, you know, even though God had told Abraham when he called him, your descendants, your seed are going to be a blessing to the nations, all the nations. There was a kind of a, a drawing in and an us and them type of, of attitude within Judaism that, that grew up and, and made itself prevalent, especially in the days around the time of Jesus and the apostle Paul. The, the temple even existed with, with a picture of this alienation. The, the temple was a grand and magnificent building built there in Jerusalem by Herod the Great. The, the temple building itself was constructed on an elevated platform, lifted up. And, and from that around that platform, you had, you had three different courts. You had the court of the priest and, and the court of Israel, and further to the east, you had the court of the women. And, and these three courts were all for those who were considered inside of Judaism, inside of Israel. From that level, that platform, you could descend five steps and when you would go down there would be a walled platform and then on the other side of the wall 14 more steps to another wall beyond which was the outer court or the court of the Gentiles and that was as close as they could get, that was as near as they could get to any kind of uh, of expression or any kind of worship around the temple no matter what. It was a spacious court running around the temple in all its inner courts. And from, that, from any part of it, the Gentiles could look up and they could view the temple representative of the presence of God, representative of Him being there. But they were not allowed to approach it at all. They were forbidden. They were cut off from it by the surrounding wall, which was one and a half meters of stone barricade, which displayed notices that told them In Greek and in Latin, that they were not to come near. They read in effect not they they read in effect, trespassers will be not that they will be prosecuted, but trespassers will be executed. Matter of fact, the famous Jewish historian Josephus describes this barricade in both of his books, but in his antiquities, he writes that the temple was encompassed by a stone wall. For a partition with the inscription which forbade any foreigner from going any further under the pain of death. I mean, they were serious about this alienation. They were serious about this alienation from the us and the them and keeping them apart. Well, Paul deals with what has taken place now in a new temple, in a new society. In a new relationship that comes about because of the death of Christ on the cross. And, and I want you to see what Paul says, starting in verse 11. Now we could start in verse one, where Paul talks about we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were spiritually dead, totally walking in the course of this world, totally pursuing on our, our own sin, until God saved us. We, we could deal with that verses one through 10. But that's not where we want to go today. Verses 11 through 22 tell us the story about what has taken place. And really it gives three, if you will, three pictures, three portraits of the situation from where we've come to where we are now. Hear what the Apostle Paul writes beginning in verse 11. Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles of the flesh who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. There's the first, first portrait. The second one. But now... But now, in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups, Jew and Gentile, into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. What Josephus was talking about, what, how the temple was constructed. He's broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by establishing in his flesh the enmity which is the law of the commandments contained in ordinances, so that he himself might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near, that is Gentiles and Jews, For through Him we both have our access in one Spirit to the Father. Do you see the Trinity there? Through Him, the Son, we have access to the Father by the Spirit. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the the saints and are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the very cornerstone In whom the whole building, being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. In whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, teach us through these portraits, three portraits. Of what was and what is. How even though we're not in first century Jerusalem. Even though we live in the United States of America 2,000 years removed from this. That Lord, while the separation may not be Jew and Gentile, there are still separations. uh, Racially and otherwise. Economically within our culture and within our churches. Lord, teach us what it means to be in unity with one another because of our union in Christ Jesus. For We pray in His name. Amen. The first portrait that the Apostle Paul paints is in verses 11 and 12 where he he paints the portrait of an alienated humanity. Now there's different types of alienation. There's alienation by Jew and Greek, Jew and Gentile because of their sin and that has to be dealt with. The Jews had a way religiously and and ritually to deal with that. The Gentiles didn't honestly but, but there was that alienation with God. But the alienation that Paul is talking about here most specifically is this alienation that takes place between those who are called of the circumcision and those who are called uncircumcised. Now we won't get into all sorts of details on what that is and everything. I, I was amazed at the conference this, this week. Uh, Tim Keller talked about that a bit. And he said, you know, you, when you're in early Sunday school and you come to those verses, the Sunday school teacher just says, well, that's a, that's a religious sign. That's all they say. Later on, when you find out what it really is, you go, oh, that's gross. That's terrible. Why would that be a sign? Keller said, why didn't God just say, get a tattoo? You know? That would have been a whole lot easier, but the whole point is it is difficult. It is gross. It is bloody because that is a sign of, of what re- is required for redemption. There's blood that must be shed for redemption and to be a part of the covenant. So, so Paul says here there is this, there's this division between those who are called the uncircumcision and the so-called circumcision. But this is circumcision that's performed by hands. It's a physical thing. It is a sign. It is a mark, but it has no true spiritual efficacy it it doesn't really accomplish anything spiritually except paul says later and i had brother scott read the passage in colossians where paul says that we have now in christ been circumcised with a circumcision that is not of hands not of human being not of human doing but a circumcision a circumcision of the heart whereby our heart has been changed, our heart has been cut away, the evil, the sin, that which is unnecessary, has been cut away, and we have been made new creatures in Christ Jesus. The circumcision of the heart is bringing together not just what we feel we should do, but also what we desire to do. Our pleasure and our duty come together in one when our heart has been circumcised, and we have been made in Him, when we are in Christ but there's that radical separation, separated from Christ, alienated from God and His people, and in that situation without hope in all the world. Uh, I love a hymn that, that, that John Newton wrote. He didn't just write Amazing Grace. That we know that one. But he wrote a hymn entitled, We Were Sinners Once As You Are. And that last verse, he says, And he kind of describes what what uh, circumcision of the heart is here. He says, our pleasure and our duty, though opposite before, since we have seen his beauty, are joined to part no more. When we see the beauty of Christ, the glory of Christ, and Christ works in our heart like he talks about, like Paul talks about in verses 1 through 10, when he does that work in our life of regeneration by his grace, for his glory, then it brings our pleasure, and our duty together and we see his beauty and, and we see his presence and they never part again. We desire to do what we should be doing all along. We desire obedience. We desire godliness. We desire holiness. That's a part of what it means of being in Christ. He goes on to say in that hymn, It is our highest pleasure, no less than duty's call, to love Him beyond measure and to serve Him with our all. We tend to make service and love two different things. But but Paul is saying here, and, and Newton was saying in that hymn, that when we are in Christ, this, this barrier wall is broken down, and there's no longer us and them, whether it's racially, Jew and Gentile, black and white, or, or what it might be. But when we are in Christ, there is something unique that takes place, and he talks about it in just a few verses. So, the first portrait, he shows an alienated, a separated human, humanity, broken as it were. The, the second portrait he paints is verses 13 through 18 where he talks about there, Christ coming and making peace. Making peace with God, between those who are alienated from God, and making peace with one another. Those who are alienated because of racial needs or economic levels or or slave and free or whatever... Paul says later, he says, listen, there is no slave nor free. There is no male nor female at the cross. There is no no Jew or Gentile. We're all in Christ. If we are at the foot of the cross, all of those those differentiations are gone. And Christ has done a mighty work. And he says there in verse uh, verse, uh, 13, "And, and always remember the importance of the word but, anytime you see it in Scripture. We were this way, but now. But now Christ, in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Blood's always involved. And blood's always gross and gory. And the cross was no beautiful, pristine gold item on a chain. It was a horrible, blood-stained, terrible execution device. And yet, Paul says, you who are far off, you who couldn't even get near the temple, you who could not at all come to worship in the presence of a holy God because of your sin and because of your alienation, you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. There's a portrait pictured here of a Christ who is making peace of what he's done. By the death of Jesus on the cross, he's reconciled us to God and to each other. He says in verse 14, not only did he draw you near to himself by his blood, but for he himself is our peace. He himself is our peace. How do we have peace with one another? We might try to do it on our own, but we fail. We we might try to be forgiving and loving in our own strength, but we we fail. We might try to say, well, you know, I'm just going to like that person no matter what, but we, we tend to fail. But Paul says, in Christ, in Him, He is our peace. He has become our peace. And when we are in Christ and another brother or sister is in Christ, then we have peace with Him. And He's made both these groups, Jew, Gentile, black, white, barbarian, sentient, all of, they've been brought together because the, He broke down the barrier that was dividing them. Listen, there, there, I know we, we live in a world that's racially divided. And, and you can't help but see it by watching the news every day. But I want you to know that within the Church of Jesus Christ, there ought to just be there ought to just be two races. And it's not black and white or red and yellow. With, within the Church of Jesus Christ, there ought to be two races the race of those who are in Christ and, and the race that aren't, who are alienated, not because They're alienated by us not allowing them, but because of their own sin and rejection and and dismissal of Christ. But there are only two races. And once you're in Christ, then all the barriers break down at the cross. You don't have to do anything different as a woman to be saved than you do as a man. You don't have to do anything different as an African American than you do a a Caucasian to be saved. At the cross, they're all the same. And, And God has brought us together, breaking down that wall that we might be together. I mean, I've said before, we're way too white in this place. We don't have enough color. And I mean that sincerely. I remember the first time when we moved to Florida. We'd moved out of a, a church that was had a lot of different ethnicity in it. We saw people from Japan and China, and, and we saw people from all sorts of places, and from America, American African Americans, who, who were there worshiping, and, and it was a very diverse group. And we moved to Florida into a church that was Lily White, and I remember sitting one day. We we had some friends coming down to to sing, and their name was Mary and Jackie Small. They had a little musical ministry called Small Blessings. I I thought that was very clever, but but they had been involved in our church in Stone Mountain, and and we were sitting around talking one day, and and I'd been there less than a year, and they were coming to sing at Sweetwater, and 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 I was just kind of reflecting. Our kids were on the floor playing, and Red and I were just talking, and. And I was just kind of reflecting, I, I don't know how they'll be received. I, I don't know if there's ever been an African-American couple to sing. Uh, so I, I use black. I don't know if there's ever been a black couple to sing at First Baptist Sweetwater before. And, and Will was playing with his truck or something, and he looked up and he said, what are you talking about? I said, I'm talking about Marion and Jackie Small coming to, to sing and, and everything, and just how they'll be received. And his response was, Marion and Jackie are black? I mean, he saw them as close friends, as a part of our family in one respect, and a part of, you know, they they were a part of the family. There was no there was no problem there. They belonged to the family. And that's what Paul is saying here. Jesus has broken down the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity. There ought not be an enemy relationship there. Enmity, struggle, problem. He breaks that down. Because he's fulfilled the law for us, and he's made the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. He goes on to say, so that he might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by having put to death the enmity. He came and he preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near he preached it to the Jews. He preached it to the Gentiles because the wall no longer was there. For through him, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. We sang about the Trinity this morning. We sang about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Paul brings that Trinitarian relationship in because our union with Christ is affected by the work of the Spirit in our life. He says we we have access in one Spirit through Him to the Father, the Son, the Spirit, the Father. They're all working together for our good to make us one, to make us one. Jesus said in In John 13, he said, how are they going to know you're my disciples? They'll they'll know you're my disciples because you have love for one another. He's talking about in the body. You won't look at some and say they're second class citizens because they're not as as socially adept as I am or they're not of the same color as I am, but but we're one, We're, we're in the family together, Paul says. Understand that. And then Paul paints a third portrait before we come to this Lord's table. And that is the portrait of the new society. Verses 19 through 22. He said, so then. Back in 13, he said, but now. And because of all that, now he says, so then. Because of this, you are no longer strangers and aliens. That's good news to every one of us in here. We were living in that day, we'd be considered strangers and aliens to God and the people of God and the worship of God. and, And we'd just be without hope in the world. But he said, now, because of that, you are no longer strangers, no longer aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. You are a part of God's household, God's family, God's body, God's relatives. You're now a part of, the, of all those who are in Christ, all those who know Christ. You're now a part of that, You're a part of that family, part of God's family. And Paul says, you, you got to grasp that. you got to understand this, because it's so important. He says, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, the teachings of the apostles, the early church, what did it say they committed themselves to? They committed themselves daily to the apostles' teaching, the apostles' doctrine. They, they continued day in and day out, committing themselves to knowing what God had said in His Word through his apostles? And, and now he says, and, and the foundation, the, the cornerstone, the foundation is apostles of prophets, but the cornerstone, that's what, which holds it all together, and that's which keeps it standing, the cornerstone is Jesus Christ himself. If you're in him, you're in the cornerstone. If you're in him, you have the security. If Him, you're able to love those who are different from you in Christ. If you're in the cornerstone, you're a part of this building, this whole building that's being built up, being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. It hadn't been that long ago we watched this building go up. Three years. And, and we watched the physical building, which is not Grace Baptist Church. This is Grace Baptist Church right here. But we saw the physical building that would house the meetings of Grace Baptist Church. And it was amazing to watch piece by piece the stones and the brick. Before that, the steel girders being put together. And, and when those steel girders are put up, he thought, man, that's, that's not too pretty right there. It's just some old steel sticking up in the air. But as they added pieces to it and started adding, and then started putting the walls up and the, and the stone and the brick and laying it one by one, just take, meticulously taking their time until it all fitted together in the master plan and it was the building that would house us. It's a place of worship, a place of edification and education and, and a place of ministry and mission beyond. It was beautiful to watch it being built up wasn't it? I mean come on you drove by here as much as I did and you'd say oh, there's another row of brick or, or there's a, a whole wall now that's completed it's getting close. The beauty of that is nothing compared to the beauty Christ building His church, His holy temple, His people, piece by piece. And you're a, if you're in Christ, you're a part of that piece. You're a part of this holy temple that's being built up, that's being built together, that is a dwelling of God in the Spirit. You know, in the, in the old temple, they said, that's where God lives. That's where God dwells. That's where God manifests Himself. Uh, in Christ. There's a new temple. And you are. You're not just in the temple. You are part of the temple. It's being built up, built together, red and yellow, black and white, male and female, rich and poor, socially sophisticated and hillbilly. Alabama redneck, all being fitted together for a glorious, glorious temple. There is no room for prejudice within the body. You know, some of my dearest friends don't look like I do. I don't think about that. I hear their heart. I'll have lunch with Jarvis Williams this week, and Lord willing, at trustee meeting. And, and, and Jarvis one of the godliest men I've ever met. He doesn't look a bit like me. Nobody would accuse us of being brothers, but we are. Not because I'm a good guy and he's a good guy and we decided, hey, we'll be friends. But because of Christ, which changes us completely. And that's what this table's about. This table's about Him giving us a life. This table's about the but now in Christ Jesus, you were formerly far off, have been brought near, and we commune with Him in communion around this table. But it's also about us together around this table. As His people, as His family, as His holy temple being built up for His glory. Come to this table with seriousness. Come to this table with joy if you're in Christ. Come to this table recognizing the work that he's done in your life and what he's doing in our lives here. Come to this table because of Christ. Would you pray with me? With your heads bowed and your eyes closed as we ask the deacons who are going to serve this meal to come and prepare themselves. And you prepare yourself. And I remind you, if you're in the foyer, we don't deliver. We don't deliver. We don't serve out there. <laughs> I'm sorry, it was a slip of the tongue. We, we, we serve only in here. So please come in and join us if you want to participate in the Lord's Supper, communion. But you pray right now, examine your own heart and prepare yourself to take this meal rightly before our Lord. You be praying.